Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I want to talk uh, a bit about Austria following the Anschluss of 1938. Now, normally, um, the way this tends to get taught in schools is you look at Hitler's foreign policy from 1936 onwards and the remilitarization of the Rhineland and the Anschluss and then the Sudeten crisis and then really the... Uh, invasion of the rest of the Czech part of Czechoslovakia in 1939 and Poland in, 19, in uh, September that year and uh, World War II breaking out. And Austria um, features up until the Anschluss happens and thereafter it, the, the kind of the story tends to get lost. Well, this is just the nature of uh, exam boards and syllabuses for you. They have to draw the line somewhere. But there is a, a powerful and complex story to be told all the way up to the uh, occupation of Austria at the end of the Second World War. So the actual annexation of Austria happens on the 12th of March 1938. Hitler had tried it previously in 1934, but he had been um, forced to stand down when um, Mussolini, with a much larger force, um, threatened to march uh, through the Brenner Pass into Austria um, in order to prevent Hitler. This was before the real uh, deepening of the relationship between the two dictators, and uh, on their first meeting they had nothing but uh, kind of contemptuous statements to make about one another. The um, destruction of the Austrian state is detailed in great depth in Timothy Snyder's brilliant book, Black Earth, and he talk, he actually refers to Hitler as a, a racial anarchist. Not that he um, was suggesting that Hitler was uh, in any way sympathetic to the ideas of like Bakunin or Fourier or uh, Proudhon or uh, anyone like that. Certainly not. But what um, he uh, called, suggests by calling him a racial anarchist is that Hitler um, only saw the state as having any value uh, as long as it was serving racial needs. When the state itself 
is an impediment to the advancement of Hitler's racial ideology. And Hitler's racial thinking really is the bedrock of all his um, ideas and beliefs then the state must be simply uh, dissolved, uh, annihilated. And um, in the case of Austria, that's what happens. Austria as a nation-state ceases to exist, is incorporated into the Reich, and the legal protections that are given to um, citizens, and particularly to Jewish citizens, therefore go. The Jews very uh, overnight go from being citizens of Austria to being stateless people within a, a larger German empire. Anyway, the book that I'm working from today is Giles MacDonald's really, really superb read um, after the Reich, um, Austria and Germany and Austria, um, from uh, the fall of Vienna to the Berlin Airlift. So as previously mentioned, the uh, anti-Semitic regime that is uh, brought into Austria is actually far more extreme uh, in early 1938 than anything seen in the uh, in Germany uh, later on that year. Um, in November 1938, there is um, the uh, pogrom, Kristallnacht, that occurs. Now, again, the way in which Timothy Snyder has looked at this is he suggested that um, the disparity can be explained thusly, that really Austria was a kind of like a testing ground for anti-Semitic violence and for a kind of a laboratory for hate. And then once it was um, shown how that this could be effective, that uh, certain um, key policy goals could be achieved uh, in this manner, um, and uh, the, the uh, population could be taken in particular directions through the medium of uh, mass humiliation of the Jews, um, then there was going to be, uh, these, these things were going to be um, uh, taken from pilot schemes in Austria um, and implemented throughout the Reich. There was some attempt at the end of the Second World War to portray Austria really as the innocent victim of Nazism, that Austrians by and large hadn't wanted uh, to be uh, annexed and they hadn't um, chosen really to be part of Hitler's war and they were the uh, the kind of the hostages to Nazism. Now the reality is something quite different. Now trying to gauge social attitudes even at the in in the present moment trying to gauge social gauge social attitudes in 2017 is difficult enough trying to gauge social attitudes in 1938 or 1945 is extremely challenging so we can only make our best guesses the uh, vote to um, uh, dissolve austria and uh, combine in the anschluss with germany um, is a one which is so overwhelmingly um, won that one has to obviously uh, cast doubt o over the outcome. By and large, when uh, people are elected with a mandate of 88 or, or 80 or 90 percent, um, the stuffed ballot boxes are always going to be involved. And I think it's been uh, long proven that the entire referendum was rigged. But how much it needed to be rigged is a, a different question. There seems to have been some groundswell on support for a union with Germany. And it had only been in 1866 uh, when Austria, the, or the, Austria uh, the Austrian Empire, soon to become the Austro-Hungarian Empire, 
as it were, was comprehensively forced out of the German Confederation and so forced out of the, the process of building a, a greater Germany. So really this would have been with grandparents at the time of, uh, or elderly people at the time of 1938, within living memory. Following the Anschluss, it wasn't simply Jews that were persecuted. Uh, there were trainloads of political prisoners, um, the Prominenten, as they were referred to, who were shipped to Dachau. Um, these were members of the government of uh, the ex-Chancellor Dolphus, who four years earlier had put down a, a Nazi coup d'etat, and the uh, revenge of the Nazis uh, was um, exemplified in the, the book um, Men Crucified by Bruno Heilig, um, ministers, civil servants and magistrates who were uh, elderly men um, were sent for hard labour and physically broken or beaten to death. Um, some went to Dachau, others went to Buchenwald or the newer camp at Mauthausen, uh, infamous for its stone steps in which inmates had to carry up uh, slabs of uh, slabs of granite uh, in a, a relentless uh, march of death. A tenth of the population uh, joined um, the Nazis, a tenth of the adult population anyway. And there might have been the possibility of far more had the Nazis not... Um, played their hand with uh, a typical crassness, viewing uh, Austria as merely a uh, place for asset stripping, as um, something that could now be plundered to enrich the rest of the Reich. And the uh, evidence of this you can find in Goering's um, four-year plan when Goering became the Reich plenipotentiary in charge of the uh, economy and building it up ready for war. Um, industry was uh, appropriated by the office and German officials and planners and bureaucrats and technocrats took long and uh, very luxurious often uh, visits to Austria and saw themselves um, swanning around these kind of newly acquired territory. Austrians themselves were treated as uh, sort of junior partners in this new wonderful enterprise um, and, that, and now they were going to have um, the, the senior partner um, Germany administering their country. This is a something that uh, has stuck in the throat of many Austrians ever since. Following the outbreak of war in 1939, um, Austria was treated, as you would imagine, by Britain, France, and then later America as a continuation of the Reich, despite the fact that Austrian exiles often tried to plead a special case for their homeland, saying that this uh, certainly wasn't the case. Allied leaders had very little sympathy for these emigres um, uh, and for their, their argument. And there was um, little uh, desire initially um, to treat Austria as the unintended victim, but that actual that narrative actually does emerge uh, later on. No one thought that um, Austria should have a government in exile, much in the same way that the uh, the Poles or the Czechs or the Norwegians 
or the Free French had a uh, government in exile, um, there was uh, no um, distinction between um, Germany and Austria in the eyes of uh, their enemies. There were a number of solutions proposed during the Second World War to, as to what to do about Austria. The first was to restore it to its status um, in 1938, um, leaving it uh, an, a, the independent state that it had been. The second was to actually leave Germany and Austria fused together. Um, the third uh, was uh, making a kind of confederation of the Danube, um, a sort of version of the German confederation that had existed up until 1871, um, and uh, but uh, based around what had previously been the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, that had all sorts of complications because obviously it would have involved uh, Czechoslovakia and it would have involved Hungary um, and perhaps other nations in Eastern Europe which were within the Soviet sphere of influence and some kind of small um, union of, of trading nations there um, would not have suited the interests of Stalin. Um, a fourth option was uh, part of, it was going to be a kind of a continuation of Henry Morgenthau's plan, which was to uh, leave uh, Germany, this kind of pastoral, deindustrialized country. And this could perhaps happen to um, Austria too. There would be a separation of Austria's provinces, uh, with, the, uh, with some of the provinces going to Switzerland and the, uh, the Tyrol, um, and uh, Salzburg going to uh, Bavaria, uh, when Bavaria would then be made a, a separate state as it um, had been prior to the creation of the, the German Empire. It had been a, a, its own kingdom within the Holy Roman Empire and the German Confederation um, uh, with a kind of a, a, a fearsomely independent streak when it was within Germany. Um, the fifth option was to um, put Austria and Bavaria together to create a southern Catholic German state and leave a northern German, northern Protestant uh, German state. This all um, was mooted really on the side of the, the Western Allies. Long, um, generally, these kinds of things were discussed before the realities of um, Soviet occupation of Eastern Europe really sunk. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In and the idea that one could start to create Catholic and Protestant German states instead of capitalist and communist ones seems naive and fanciful to us now. Having Austria in a pliant and weak position where it had to uh, struggle extremely hard to prove its worth and to prove that it was a a redeemed state um, was uh, useful to the Allies in 1945. The reality is that uh, between uh, the beginning and the end of that year, the fear of permanent Soviet occupation uh, was um, uh, the the guiding principle in Austrian diplomacy with the Western Allies, and the idea that Austria might have to uh, work very hard to um, become part of Western Europe, and things could really go quite badly wrong for Austria, uh, was a, a a key negotiating tool or, or leverage uh, from the, the the Western perspective. In 1943, the Allies issued the uh, Moscow Declaration um, in October, which stated that Austria, which was the first victim of Nazi aggression, must be liberated from German domination. That sounds good, doesn't it? However, it goes on to read, Austria is nonetheless reminded that it bears a responsibility from which it may not escape having participated in the war on the side of Hitler's Germany and that, in the final reckoning, the role that it plays in its own liberation will inevitably be taken into account. A subtle hint for the uh, Austrians to behave as the Poles did the following year in 1944 and rise up uh, against the Nazis. Not only was there not the equivalent of the Polish Home Army in Austria... But also, when the Poles did rise up against the Nazis, uh, the Russians sat back and let the SS slaughter them and raise Warsaw to the ground. Stalin obviously had uh, a powerful influencing role on the Moscow Declaration, um, which meant that there would be no Danubian Federation, uh, there would be no return of the the Habsburg uh, family to the throne, and there would be the distinct possibility from Roosevelt's perspective of pursuing the Morgenthau plan. Um, Roosevelt uh, seems to, in, in, towards the end of the war, have been to have been profoundly Germanophobic uh, and has seen really the, the Germans as a, a, a source of trouble in the world uh, and a scourge to be punished and kind of a, a cat to be declawed forever. However, the Morgenthau plan doesn't happen. It is seen as being sort of wildly unworkable uh, and um, uh, something that will inevitably lead to further conflict in Europe. In October 1944, the Soviets demanded an acceleration in the uh, planning of an Austrian solution 
and they saw it as uh, a way of quickly drawing advantageous front lines in the Cold War. Um, they wanted basically to uh, iron out which zones of occupation in Austria would be theirs. The French seem to have had little interest in Austria, though they do begin to demand reparations later on when they find um, dismantled bits of um, French industrial hardware stolen during the fall of France uh, in Austria and uh, rightly accuse of accuse Austria of having benefited from the looting of France. Um, the Russians demanded Bergenland and the eastern part of Lower Austria and they wanted to keep together the eastern half of Styria um, with Graz and this was where the main industries were located um, which had been uh, outhoused, uh, taken out of Germany um, to put them a safe distance away from Allied bombers. Um, the British thought that they would have the uh, western half of Austria and um, Carinthia, and the Americans could take whatever was left. Vienna itself was divided into zones between the British and the Americans and the Russians, and there was a plan even to um, control uh, traffic along the River Danube um, by the Russians. Exiles uh, obviously wanted to have a key role in shaping the future of uh, Austria. There were 30,000 of them in Britain, but the vast majority of these were Jews who had fled in 1938. Some had been uh, evacuated in uh, St Nicholas Winton's uh, kinder transport programme, uh, but there were many adults as well. Uh, there was a, an Austrian centre um, on Westbourne Terrace in Paddington, and it had a, its own restaurant, library and reading room. Um, and its own newspaper. So there was a, a kind of a well-organised emigre community in London, um, and a Jewish emigre community for, um, for the most part. Um, and it was uh, only, obviously, uh, towards the end of the war that the full extent of the, uh, the Holocaust um, was, was known and understood. There was, uh, and prior to this point, there had been a, um, an active campaign amongst the exiles, Jewish and non-Jewish, to return Jews to Austria. Um, the uh, realisation of the Holocaust seems to obviously have, have dramatically changed this. As early as 1939, um, exiles in London were talking about a, uh, a new Austria, in June that year, there was a discussion group, group called Das Command Osterreich, or the Coming Austria, um, which uh, took in uh, recommendations not just from the exiles in Britain, um, but also exiles who uh, from uh, who had gone to Moscow. These were obviously communist um, Austrians. Um, 1944, one of the key figures in, uh, in the Moscow group, Ernst Fischer. Um, published a book called The Rebirth of My Country, um, which in which he advocated uh, the total divorce of Austria from Germany. 
and the uh, recreation, reorientation of Austria with countries like Yugoslavia and or Czechoslovakia. So within the emigre communities, there were competing visions for what Austria should be. Um, a, a liberal democracy, as dreamt of by the London Austrians, or a Soviet um, a state, uh, as seen by the, uh, the Moscow Austrians. Zionist groups amongst the Jewish Austrian emigres in uh, London uh, sought to capitalise the reservations that many Austrian Jews who'd, who'd um, found refuge in, in Britain had. Um, obviously encouraging at the end of the world, the Second World War, um, educated and able Austrian Jews to go not to back to Austria but to Palestine was a key objective of uh, both moderate and radical Zionists. There was a propaganda campaign from the uh, the other end of uh, uh, of the initiative. Um, from non-Zionist, non-Jewish um, Austrian emigres um, to encourage Jews eventually to go back to Austria uh, at the end of the war. Um, a slogan, Osterreichers, Juden genacht Osterreich, Zürich. I probably said that all wrong. But um, Austrian Jews go back to Austria. Um, and in 1941, the, uh, uh, there emerged the Free Austrian Movement. The Free Austrian Movement is really a cover for um, the, the Austrian communists. It was um, one of Stalin's many initiatives to create uh, popular front movements and that would eventually become popular front governments that would eventually, the, um, uh, the plur political plurality would wither away and the, the, the communists would seize power. The um, Free Austrian Movement, or the Free Austrian World Movement, as it later becomes known as, um, is uh, something of a non-starter as uh, social democrats and conservatives and monarchists um, in exile. Uh, clock it for what it is, a communist front organisation and um, treat, give it short shrift. There were many Austrian um, social democrats and uh, moderate conservatives who saw Austria as being a, a, a non-viable state on its own in some sort of union with Germany uh, in order for Austria to uh, economically exist uh, was essential. However, this was something that um, various emigre movements had to uh, balance alongside uh, the knowledge that uh, Austria's affiliation with Germany had uh, meant really an affiliation with Nazism, which had kind of uh, condemned the nation. Communists uh, hoped that a completely divorced country, a country with no further relationship with Germany, could manage to jettison uh, the, uh, Austria's uh, fascist past and could then manage to kind of move beyond uh, the guilt of the Holocaust and could present itself as a kind of a victim of fascism and perhaps even a, a fighter against fascism. And there, there's a kind of a narrative from East Germany to Poland to the rest of the Soviet bloc that the the war really was the, the great anti-fascist war um, and that helps to kind of create a, a unified uh, Soviet narrative um, and helps to obviously cover up various inconvenient facts um, along the way.
Winston Churchill, in February 1942, in kind of characteristic bombastic form, um, said that uh, Austria would be free from the Prussian yoke. Um, this was eventually disavowed by the Foreign Office, um, and because Churchill had essentially uh, committed um, the uh, himself or Britain to uh, an independent Austria as a war aim, without really thinking it through. Um, it wasn't decided by 1942 if this was a, a war aim at all. Um, and later on, it becomes something that the Allies do commit themselves to. Now, the fact that the exiles in London were overwhelmingly Jewish, um, with a smattering of minor royalty in there as well, seems to have activated some latent anti-Semitism in Whitehall. The um, Foreign Office and the various uh, branches of government and the armed forces dealing with uh, emigres looked upon them as being uh, a bunch of Jews with a smattering of royalty uh, therein, and were un unconvinced by them, they didn't see these exiles as being legitimate Austrians at all. Um, and that really speaks volumes about the kind of the, the hidden anti-Semitic discourses there within not just Britain, but the, the other Allied powers uh, as well. Now, I'm going to talk about um, this a little bit more, about Austria's experience of you know, you what could euphemistically be called liberation, um, in, in 1945, sometime later, perhaps this week. Um, but this is just a kind of little little background of uh, the uh, currents of Austrian politics from 1938 to 1945. Hope you enjoyed it, found it useful, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. By the way, swing by our Facebook page, say hi. I have some great conversations there at the moment, some lovely insights, and it's great to hear from you all. Take care, all the best. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.